conclude that this series on Second Thessalonians and the title, as you can see, is working right. I just want to share something with you. Uh, some of you know I'm left-handed, and I was born left-handed. And in my childhood, there was some small attempt by my well-meaning mother to make me write, uh, by urging me to try using my right hand to write, or to use the chopsticks at least. She gave up after a while, after she found out either from someone or from somewhere, that forcing a left-hander to use the right hand may cross some wires in the brain and make me go mad. So she stopped. So today I'm still happily <laughs> a left-hander. And interestingly nowadays, when I sign a document or I write a document in the presence of people, um, occasionally I get a, wow, you're a left-hander. I heard left-handers are very smart. That was certainly not a comment I hear of left-handers when I was a kid. You know, similarly today, words like disruptive, out of the box, pushing the envelope. Today, they are used quite often in a positive sense. Disruptive technology, I think we are very familiar with, and such may be seen as challenging the status quo and moving us toward progress. And so I wonder if we should go with the flow and spice up topics like today's working right, which is not very exciting a topic or not very profound sounding, by maybe calling it working left or working smart or how to make your money work hard for you, that sort of title. And this brings us back to something fundamental we Christians increasingly need to be prepared to deal with as envelopes are pushed and out-of-the-box thinking is encouraged and things like marriage and family are redefined. The exhortation from Paul in 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one appointed, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth, that exhortation for us to be able to handle truth skillfully has become so much more important today where old beliefs and traditions are either overturned or rubbished and new beliefs emerge. It is so critical for us as God's people to ground ourselves in the truths of God's Word so that it serves as a reference point for us and we can hear the Holy Spirit in us telling us, this is the way, go in it, or this is not the way, stop. And indeed, for something like work, which we will be talking about today, which occupies the bulk of our waking hours, and I'll be talking about work in a very broad sense today. I, I would describe it as things that you put effort into and there has a routine to it. So work could be defined as your homemaking. Uh, it could be defined as baking or banking or cooking or accounting or doing the laundry or filling in forms, administration, teaching, child training, music production, business, etc. We need to be consistently reminded how God views our work and how He wants us to conduct ourselves given its centrality in our lives. Now with that as background, let's read today's passage. And let me just read it to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, 
but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. It is a very straightforward passage. And the first thing we want to learn today is to get the right view of God. How do we view God? A right view of God. You see the command in the, in the passage there, work, don't be idle. Now why is this command even necessary? We can make a few educated guesses. Um, first, you may recall a few weeks back we looked at a chapter before this which, uh, where Paul talked about the last days. And it is likely that these people in understanding that the return of Jesus is imminent, some people decided not to work, work in anticipation of Christ's return. So why work or why work hard when Christ is returning soon? Now, why do people think like that? Underlying that thinking, that belief, must be that they see a difference between the physical work we do at our workplaces or our schools or our homes and the things of God, right? So they see a difference. That there is a difference between what we do at workplaces, schools, homes, and the things of God. That what we are doing daily at home or in the offices or in school has little to no relevance to our relationship with Jesus. So if we know that Jesus is returning next Sunday, for sure, if we are certain that you receive a WhatsApp that Jesus is returning next week, we should all gladly resign, quit, stop doing what we have been doing, and wait. So that could be one reason. They view work as something with no spiritual value. That's why when they heard that Jesus is returning, they were quite quick to abandon work. Now, here's another possible reason. These people live, live among um, the Greeks. And you know these ancient Greeks, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, these were all, um, they think a lot, right? And the ancient Greeks considered work a curse. Now, Aristotle was the one who said unemployment, which he defined as the ability to live without having to work, he said that unemployment is a crucial qualification for a truly worthwhile life. That was what Aristotle said. So that it frees the mind to contemplate deep philosophies and do mental gymnastics. It was a worldview of work that was very prevalent among the people at that time. That the whole idea of work is to quickly make your keep, quickly make it, or sponge off others if you can so that you can retire early and think about stuff. So that could be another reason. They viewed work not as of no spiritual value. They viewed work, the physical work, as a curse. Something to work yourself out of. It is a problem to solve. They longed for early retirement. And given many of these Christians in, in Thessalonica were probably manual laborers, which involved hard work. Huh? So maybe using the chanko or using, using the spade, etc. Uh, hard work, it was probably easier to consider work as hard, manual, and therefore cursed. Now let's see how Paul responds. Paul says, we were not idle, meaning we didn't just think about stuff when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And he said this in our passage today. He said this in the previous letter. So obviously this church does have an issue with work. And he said it before, almost the same. You remember, brothers, our labor and toil work night and day. We may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So most likely, this toiling night and day, what was Paul doing? He was 
making tents, literally. Okay? Making tents. That, that's what he was good at. Paul, Paul was good at a few, quite a few things. He's, he's very smart and, and he can think a lot. But he was also very good at making tents. And it helps him make, make a living, working with his hands. So he was moonlighting to earn his keep as he preached the gospel. Now, if someone had a reason not to do secular work, it must have been Paul because he was doing spiritual work, right? He was preaching the gospel. He was a missionary. Now, what could be more spiritual than preaching the gospel and what could be more earthly as making a tent? I don't know how to make a tent, but uh, I'm not very excited about it. Uh, Making a tent. What does making a tent have to do with spirituality? Now, Paul clearly saw his earthly work of making tents using his hands as part of his spiritual work. That's what I think. It is an extension of spiritual work. I believe Paul saw it all, tent making and preaching the gospel, he saw it all as the work to which God has called him. The tent making and the preaching of the gospel. Now, you, you imagine Paul was a painter. If he was a painter and he was using a piece of canvas to draw his artwork, okay? And there is one piece of artwork called Preaching the Gospel. That artwork, art piece is called Preaching the Gospel. And maybe for some of us, we think there's another piece of artwork called Making Tents. Paul drew it all on the same canvas. It is the same Canvas, there is no break. To be sure, Paul, as a missionary and a pastor, he had the right to focus on his missionary work and his preaching work and let others support him. But he evidently found it so important to teach the people that work is spiritual, work is, has value, work is important, and it's relevant to a Christian's walk, that he saw it necessary to model it for them. Because it's easy to talk, like now. But modeling is different. Paul saw work as the productive means of unlocking God's provision. Okay? God, where we can work, Paul is saying that is the means through which God provides for you. That is how Paul viewed work. It is a means of God's provision. That work is part of our spiritual living. Now, another example. This is in Timothy. And they were having a problem in that church that he was pastoring because there were widows that the church had to take care of, and sadly, there appeared to be a lot. And how were they going to differentiate between who to help and who not to? This was one of the criteria. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show what? To show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Do you see godliness in the verse? You know godliness... Is that not a very spiritual word? I mean, it's probably the most spiritual word you can talk about, right? Godliness. But in this instance, godliness equals providing for the needy in our family. That same concept of working to provide. And then in the very next verse, if you're interested in 1 Timothy 5, if you go back and read, in the very next verse it says, for widows that do not have families to take care of them, they have to depend on God wholeheartedly, and they have to pray day and night to God for help. It does not make a distinction between the widow who is helped by the family and the widow who relies on God for help. It is the same God providing through different means. It is a continuum. A continuum. It is the same piece of canvas. So work is God's designated productive means of provision for those of us who can work. Obviously, there is a place for taking care of those who cannot work. Okay? So if you are in that position, certainly today's sermon is not blasting you or telling you that although you are handicapped or whatever and you can't work, 
you should get out there and work. That, that's, that, that's not the sermon. The sermon is relating to able-bodied people, people who can work but are not willing to work or who see work as a curse or who see work as no value. You know, it is seen as godly, as a means to godliness. That's what it says. That same piece of canvas in our spiritual life. You know, there's that halo of godliness around our work when it is done to provide for the weaker, for the weak. It is a sacred trust. It is something God entrusts to us. It is an endowment that God puts in our lives to grow. So does the banking job I return to tomorrow, the form filling that some of you will return to tomorrow, the laundry or the cleaning or the meetings or the classes that you will return to tomorrow, do they have any value to God? Now, it's a bit hard to imagine a halo around it, I understand. But I would say very much so there is value to godliness in our work. If I view it as an extension of the work God has called me to do. Same piece of canvas. The God who called you to salvation is calling you to this work. At the very least, when we view work, it is a means for me to provide resources to meet needs. That's precisely Paul's point. Please work so that you pull your own weight so that you don't burden others. And like Paul, besides just providing for our own needs like Paul, my work, your work, is also a model for the people around us. Your work speaks. Your work has a voice. My and your work is a platform for us to practice and display godliness. It is the largest and most obvious platform. It is the biggest piece of blank canvas for me to use the resources God has given to me, to steward the resources God has given to me. It cannot be that when Jesus said, I give some of you five talent, two talent, one talent, in the day of reckoning, can you imagine Jesus coming up to you and say, okay, let's talk about the, the, the 2,000 Sundays in your life. Cannot be, right? Must be talking about, let's talk about your life, right? Which the bulk of it comprises work. Has to be. It cannot be that God, when He calls you to account all your talents and the things that He has entrusted to you, He's just going to talk to you about church. He's not going to ask you about that, just ask you about that worship or the CGM. It cannot be. I mean, it's just, it's just the elephant in the room is work. He has, He will, trust me, ask you about what you did at work with the resources is given to you. I once had a chat with a friend, and this person was not a scholar. Uh, uh, I, I think you understand what scholars are, right? Uh, people who study, but no, I mean, uh, scholars are people who have done very well and they're, they're designated for stuff in an institution. And this person was not a scholar, and he was lamenting that scholars get a leg up in his organization. They rise up much faster. They get better promotion prospects. So I, I try to counter it a little bit and I told him, hey, how can it be? You, why can't you work as hard for, or better to pick the scholar, right? To beat the scholar. And that was when this person turned to me and said, you know, it's not that I don't want to. But in such things, it is all about what opportunities are granted to you. If they grant me an opportunity to work on a decent project, the sort of projects that they always grant to scholars, then I have a platform. I have a chance to prove myself, to ace it. But alas, there was no chance for me. Now, I don't intend to wade into a debate on scholars versus non-scholars uh, in this sermon. But I just wanted to pick on a point that he was talking about. That it is about the opportunity granted. The platform to perform. You know the work that God has given to you is a gift, it is an opportunity, it is a platform, it is a canvas on which we present 
our worship to God by stewarding, by employing, by harnessing the resources He has given to you. And please don't just think talent. It includes time, it includes strength, and of course, it includes your talent. That is the, that is the canvas. That is the platform. That is the sovereignty of God over our work. It says here in 1 Corinthians 7, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And then so, brothers, in whatever condition, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, then let him remain with God. It will be remiss of us to think that the life to which God has called us in this verse excludes our work. That is a very puny life then because it's only one out of seven or two out of seven. No, it must be that the, the life to which God has assigned to us must comprise our work. And I think some of you know, we did a work series uh, more than a year back, that the Latin root word for vocation, work, is vocatio, right? Not that I went to Latin class, I just checked Wikipedia. And vocatio means to call, to call, to summon. It is a calling. You and I today need to think about how are we painting on that canvas? Are we productive, producing, and proclaiming God's attributes on that canvas? Are we productive, providing, and proclaiming God's attributes? You know, a couple of weeks back, I was uh, confronted with a situation at work where I was accused of bullying a junior uh, whom I thought was insubordinate. And much as I was vindicated at the end, absolved, uh, I felt that God wanted me to have uh, a coffee with this person to clear the air, uh, that I intended no malice. There was no intent to intimidate nor to bully, right? The eyebrows don't help, but there was no <laughs> intention. Now, if I see my job as separate from the spiritual, so this is work. Let's not talk spiritual here. This is work. That it has no value nor bearing on what matters to God. Then I would do what most people do, and I've seen a lot of people do this, since we are vindicated, case closed, we move on. We sweep it under the carpet, right? We just sneer and, and, and give the, the junior a weird look and say, well, you're just sensitive, right? But because I saw my work as a calling from God to produce, to provide, to proclaim, now I had a coffee to break the animosity. Now I'm not bragging here, right? I'm not trying to boast or say whatever. I'm just saying when you see your work as a form of godliness, um, it, it, it will drive your behavior in terms of how you want to produce, in terms of how you want to provide, in terms of how you want to proclaim. Some of the people who have moved me, I've worked for quite a while. People who have moved me, moved me means impressed me and earned my respect at work. Huh? Um, they were all non-Christians. And there are a lot of Christians in where I work. What impressed me was their integrity, their hard work, their willingness to admit a mistake, their willingness to take a hit, take one for the team, their willingness to slow down to help the less important people. Now, these people move me. And... Just to be clear, they did not impress me by the bigness of their deals. Mega deals, right? Billion dollar deals, no. Nor did they impress me by the importance of their job or their eloquence or ability to speak and, 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 and speak corporate speak, you know, the, 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 the strategy stuff. No, they didn't impress me through, through, through all that stuff. 
they impressed me by the strength of the character that they brought to whatever job they were doing. So please, when we talk about showing godliness in our work, we're not talking about spiritual things like preaching the gospel at work or starting a prayer group in the school, much as those are good and important things. It is about the virtues you bring to a job. It is about the paint you bring to the canvas. And in case you're wondering, that, hey, my is just form-filling and it's not glorified, whatever, I want to remind you that we serve a God uh, who has a track record uh, of using small things uh, and seemingly foolish things to shame the wise. So before you start saying that uh, the, 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 the little piece of work that I'm doing is a very sad piece of canvas and the only colour I have is grey, uh, trust God to use the little piece and the grey uh, to do something beautiful. Don't despise small beginnings. God has proven more than once that He loves to use the small and sometimes foolish. And God can move people through you without you speaking. You know that, right? God can move people through you without you speaking. And some of us should not talk so much. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, in case you think that this is only limited to charming ladies, uh, make it your goal to live a quiet life. Mind this is unisex, huh? Minding your own business and working with your hands. Just with... Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. I tell you, I, 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 I need to say this very carefully. Most of the people I respect was, I, I respect them because of the things they did not because of the things they said. That's, that's at least my experience. I respected, most of the people I've respected in my life, a high regard for them. I respected them because of the things they did, not because of the things they said. And most of them, incidentally, were not exactly communicators. So people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you know, if you have lived long enough, that respect is a bridge to many things. When a person, when you win a person's respect, oh, you have multiple bridges into that person's life. I know work is not easy, but those of us who are parents or those of us who, who, who are not parents may also know this, that when the going is tough, uh, right, when the going is tough and the kid uh, still takes the effort, uh, it becomes extra special. You get what I mean? You know what I mean? Uh? Okay, let me say it again. Now, if your kid is very naturally talented and he's acing everything and all that, of course, that's, that's, that's good. Lah. Praise God. Right? But when, when the kid is putting in the effort despite not being talented in that area, but he's putting in the effort because the kid wants to do a good job, oh, it warms my heart. I don't know whether it warms your heart or not, but it warms my heart. Because it's special. It is special when... It is not easy and the kid still takes the effort. And I believe it's the same with God. I believe He knows work is not easy. He promises strength. He promises to energize us. But I believe it also brings a huge cheer to His heart that we are pressing on. Now, I hope this repurposes you. I hope this re-energizes you. For those of you who have been disillusioned by work, and you think that it's a curse to avoid or to work yourself out of, or you think it amounts to nothing. And when I, one day when I go before the Lord Jesus, all my work will be burnt up. I'm not so sure. So that's the right view of God. Let's, let's move to our concluding idea 
And when we talk about work, we cannot don't talk about ambition, right? Work and ambition. So we're going to talk about a right view of ambition. What do we aspire to as people of God who work? Now, just now when we read that passage, if you look at verse 11, let me read it to you. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Now, such people we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and what? And work quietly. That's what the verse says, in the Amplified Bible at least. Settle down and work quietly and earn their own food and other necessities. Now, there's something interesting here about quiet, right? Because we have also seen this. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. It is an interesting word because quiet is not a usual term we associate with goals or ambition, right? Goals and ambitions and aspirations are usually loud. They are aggressive. They are big and hairy, right? Goals. And interestingly, the Bible says, make it your goal to lead a quiet life. Now, the quiet here that it refers to is not, the opposite is not silent. Eh? Okay? The quiet here, the opposite is not so much, uh, sorry, the, the quiet here does not mean silent. Okay? The opposite is not so much noisy. The opposite of this quiet here is disorderly. Okay? So, let me just suggest a few words to you what this quiet means. It means restful. Restful. It means undisturbed. It means settled. Settled, right? And it means centered. You know centered? Centered means, means centered, right? And I just want to pick on two of them here. Settled and centered. Right? Settled and centered. I don't know what mental images it gives you when I say settled and centered. But the image it gives me is weight. Weight. Substance. You get what I mean? Because when you have a low, heavy center of gravity, right, weight, that protects you from being shaken, tossed, turned by every worry, every fretting, every false teaching. There's almost an internal reserve that stabilizes the person. Working, but not out of an insecurity. I've shared with this congregation before, I believe, that my favorite Chinese restaurant is... All right, man. Jade Palace, right? Uh, and it is in the Forum Galleria if you are looking for a good Chinese restaurant, but you need to reserve. Now, why do I like it so much? Over the years uh, that I've attended it, it's, it's thanks to Raymond who introduced me to it. And um, besides yummy food, which is, which is a hygiene factor, right? It's, it's basic. You, you need it, right? Yummy food. Um, the thing that impresses me most about uh, the, them is the boss. Now, uh, because I'm into wine, right? Red wine and all that. Uh, this is the re a restaurant uh, that if I bring my own wine, they won't charge me this thing called cockage. Okay? Cockage is just their way to get back at you la, for bringing your own wine. Right? Uh, and most restaurants charge it. So, but this guy doesn't charge me cockage. And even when I don't bring my own wine, I have found through research that the wine he sells me uh, is almost the same price as the wine I buy outside. So, he doesn't even mark up the wine. So I, it, it just blows my mind. And um, I have a horrible habit of over-ordering. Those of you who know me, uh, my wife, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge thing for her uh, that I always over-order. And um, this is a restaurant that always stops me from over-ordering. They'll say three dishes enough, I think. If not enough, order some more. Unlike every other restaurant, including the one I just went last weekend, where they're very keen to push me, they're special, 
for the day, right? So this person, this boss, when I observe him, yes, he is busy, but you don't sense a franticness to make money. He appears to genuinely like seeing people enjoy a good meal, a nice bottle of wine. I don't know why. Uh, I didn't ask whether he's Christian or not. Um, doesn't look like it. I don't know why. Okay, okay, I'll take that back. Huh? He may be Christian. <laughs> I don't know why, but maybe he has made enough. I don't know. So that's his weight, right? He's made enough. So nothing will shake him. So what's, 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 what's $30 cockage? Maybe this is his hobby. Maybe he has other businesses. I don't know. Uh, but I thought it illustrates a, a set, centeredness, a, a settledness, a stability that seems to come from some internal reserve. And it shows in his work in a very beautiful way. No insecurity, no calculativeness, no franticness. It, he seems to work for something outside of the usual. So now if you have a problem with that illustration, let me give you another one. Jesus. Okay? Jesus. Jesus, you shouldn't have a problem. You know, Jesus is busy, but never frantic. You never see him pulling his hair out. Alright? There is an inner core about our Lord that is settled, you know. Many of you read wrongly that he's like a, lead, like a sheep uh, going to slaughter. He's like, oh, poor thing, nobody defend him. No, I, I, think, I think we all know it is about that settledness, that centeredness about him. And why is Jesus like that? I attribute to the weight that grounds him. And what is that weight? I can at least identify two. Two big weights, one for each leg, huh? that grounds Jesus. One is the purposes of God ground him. So he's totally steady and comfortable that you don't have to call me names, you don't have to adulate me because I'm clear what the purpose of God is for my life. The second leg that grounds him is who he is in God, his identity in God. His identity in God and the purpose to which God has called him. I think that's what grounds him. His constant return to that center even on the eve of his crucifixion, remember? Eve of his crucifixion was probably the biggest shaking in his life. What did he return to? He returned to that garden and he returned to that center. That this is who you are. This is what I've called you to do. Steady. And we know after the Garden of Gethsemane, he was steady all the way. And Paul says, you want ambition? Even as you talk about work, you want goals? Make it your goal. Aspire to live a quiet, a settled, a centered life. Minding your own business and working with your hands. Now, they, they may, you may read this as three things. Quiet life, mind your own business, working your hands. But I believe they're the same thing. It's like live a quiet life, rest early, take more fruits. Same thing, right? Make your ambition to take more fruits, can. Make your ambition to sleep early, can. Make your ambition live also can. Right? But you know they are all related. So same thing. You have the internal reserve. You mind your own business. Why? This, this does not mean get out of CG and become a hermit. Nah? Minding your own business, don't kepo. Right? Don't, don't go and dabble in other people's affairs for the fun of it. Why? Because we always get bogged down comparing ourselves to others. And getting distracted. And then the inner reserve in the garden, then what not to do, don't, don't complicate your life with the affairs of others, and then working. Putting your hand to the plow. Start painting. Um, I'll just ask the musicians to come up now. And for this congregation, I just wanted to share with you for the, for the, for the, for the first, first, first service, I talked about uh, the story of Caleb and, and how even in his old age, he went on. This, this generate, this, for this congregation, because a lot of you are, 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 are young, all of you are young, um, 
I want to talk a bit about something I see that you need to be careful about, and that's minding your own business. Uh, and it has to do with social media. Right? Uh, the inundation. Uh, you are the same human being and the same makeup with uh, two kidneys and one liver and two, two eyes and all that as my great grandfather. It's the same thing. The capacity is the same. Right? Uh, it's just that today, while my great grandfather probably slept at five, uh, you have so many things. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I, 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 I'm in Facebook um, to keep up with the times. But honestly, it is, there is a lot of, if I may call it voyeurism, right? People just observing what other people are doing, right? Just observing. And we contribute but to it by saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, then then that, that shakes you. We need to be steady people. Don't, no need to cancel your Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever. I'm just saying you, you need to be aware that the ancient truths of God are real. They, he made you, He knows how much capacity. And there's no way you can take that much capacity. You, you will end up minding a lot of other people's business. And uh, minding their business to help them is okay. But minding their business, oh, how beautiful this girl is, oh, how rich he is, oh, how, what a nice car, oh, he's attached now. Uh, those things don't help. Those things don't help. Last time, I need to have a conversation with Chi Ming uh, to know what he did for his holidays. Uh, I, I, I didn't even talk to him about him jumping out of a plane. <laughs> right? I saw it. Uh, multiply that by a thousand friends, right? Okay, I don't have a thousand friends. Uh, but you know what I mean. So while, while, while the older congregation had a different message or a different altar call, I, I want to just challenge you to, to really be careful about this. Mind your, mind your, okay, I don't need to say this very nicely, right? Mind your own business. Mm. Right? There's enough business. There's enough business of your own. Trust me. There's a garden to cultivate. There's an internal reserve to grow. There is work to be done. Mind your own business. We need to be careful about that, right? Because uh, it's, it's just spiraling, right? It, it's so huge. And why don't we rise? And as we sing that song, just as we were praying that God will raise up Caleb's, right, from among our old to say we'll carry on some more. Uh, you know, we have been praying for Joseph and Daniel's, right, from among you that you will take on that mantle and say, I will be a Joseph, I will be a, I will be a Daniel in my school, in my workplace. It's a huge calling. It's not a small calling. It is not a small canvas. God is calling you. And today, as we sing this song, um, and the altar is open, I, I, I want you to respond, to, 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 to tell God that um, um, I want, I want to be the Daniel. I want to be the the Joseph or the female equivalent uh, to be there to make a difference because it's a big piece of canvas that the church cannot ignore what you do in school and in work okay so the altar is open I want to pray with you um, and, and, and as we sing uh, no need to sing in the middle of the song then you come out you can come out anytime okay and we pray with you adult old or young whichever you can come out okay Let's commit our, hand, our, our lives into God's hands.
will still be open but I just want to close in prayer for the rest of you you can leave quietly I'll just ask the musicians to continue playing let's uh, pray together and I just want to encourage you to pray on your own what you've heard today the call of God on your lives the life that the Lord has assigned to you just, just dedicate that to God ask God to make it productive ask God to make it providing for the needs of others. Ask God to make it proclaiming
Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is our anchor. That Lord Jesus, you are our anchor within, beyond the veil, Lord. That in you, we can stand secure. You are the rock that is higher than us. And Father, I want to pray for you to direct our paths, Lord, in our workplace, in our schools, in the calling, in that vocation that you have called us to, Lord. I want to pray for you to energize us, Holy Spirit. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you purpose us. You strengthen us, Lord, for to do a good work, Lord. I want to pray that out of my brothers and sisters here, the virtues of God will be evident in the work that they do. That there will be fruitfulness in your eyes, Lord, from the work that they put in. Be it form filling, be it administration, be it finance, be it homemaking, be it studying. Lord, we want to connect with you because we know from you, the vine comes fruitfulness, Lord. I pray fruitfulness upon us, Lord. Establish the work of our hands, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.